Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. chapter number four. So while they're gone again, there are services in Henderson, Kentucky at Brother Rigsby's church, both pastoral and church anniversary. Amen. If you desire to go any of those, it's tomorrow night, Friday night, Saturday night. And Brother Michael J. Wilson will be there singing, playing, preaching. Amen. And so that would be a great, great amen time. You won't go wrong with him. Amen. Or with the Lord. Hallelujah. Acts chapter number four. This is midweek. Good to see everybody here. I know that sometimes it's a struggle. Let's just be honest. On Wednesday to drag your carcass in here. It's amazing what can happen just in three days, isn't it? <laughs> in a week to drag yourself in here because evidently not just hopefully obligation but you believe that when you're here there's something that can take place that can help you for the other days that's left in your week or maybe it can bring a little salve to what you have already experienced in the week that you have had amen so thank you for being here acts 4 i'm going to read a few verses of scripture starting with verse 13 that's where we left off last week now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against him. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they, may, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Continuing with our series, I want to talk tonight about having been with Jesus. I'm going to spend a lot of time in verse number 13 and kind of tonight, amen, if you'll allow me to. I'm going to spend a little bit of time there and a little time elsewhere maybe to finish up uh, this evening. Man, just going to go to work. I went to pick my son up from school today, and uh, when he came out the door and seen I was standing there, he looked up at his teacher and he said, "Yes." He said, "My dad's got on his uniform. This is what I had on. So I'm going to work here tonight. I got my uniform on, and I'm ready, Amen, to go to work. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you, Jesus, this evening. God, touch us afresh, Lord, with Your Word. It's forever settled. It's forever settled word. God, there's life, God, in these pages, Lord, that we have and the words here. I pray, oh God, this evening, open our minds and our understanding to it. 
pray God you would grant us Lord Jesus some understanding tonight Lord something could be conveyed Lord would be of some benefit Lord to someone Lord at least one Father in this house I will thank you for it in Jesus name that I pray Amen you may be seated here this evening having been with Jesus now from last week we understand that Peter and John has been brought before the council the Sanhedrin council which was about 70 members 70 individuals high-class individuals wealthy individuals uh, a good portion of them that did not believe in a resurrection or angels or things of the spirit or those things that are spoken of in the word concerning the future and as Peter and John explained to these men by what authority or by what name that the lame man was healed and the miracle occurred and spoke to them that it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth and you remember all the little things that we talked about last week concerning the Roman government how they revered Caesar and how Peter whenever he spoke particular things he was kind of just picking away at that mindset of the Roman government and letting them know that there is no Lord except Jesus, that there was none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved but Jesus. And so having heard Peter and John give their defense, if we could call it that, the Bible says that whenever they seen their boldness, there was an element of, of boldness of Peter and John. They, they, they were not... Uh, hiding behind one another. They were not uh, beating around the bush, so to speak, but they were quite frank with who this was that had enabled this miracle that took place. When, when the Sanhedrin seen this boldness, that kind of took them by surprise because these were men, to their estimation, that they called were, they perceived that they were unlearned and that they were ignorant men. Unlearned meaning that they, they didn't have no technical education like the scribes and the Sadducees and these others that were before them and that they were ignorant in the fact that they had no professional status like one of the Sanhedrin yet not having either of those things they were very, they were very bold. And so since they were different they, 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 they began to interrogate them perhaps a little bit a little bit further and being that most of them that were uh, of the Sanhedrin were high-class educated men people that had some type of clout or some type of status they 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 stood here before these type of men and they could have very easily felt small but they did not they spoke with boldness they spoke with clarity and so these men marveled at Peter and John they took knowledge of Peter and John because they deduced, since it was by the name of Jesus that this miracle was done, and that a miracle was done. Because it's not like the common man had that happening as a regular in his life. What I meant was, it wasn't every day they had seen someone get healed, or for that matter, for someone to be a piece of conduit through which the healing took place. Matter of fact, as they scratched their head, you know, boys, I don't recall any of this really ever taking place except when Jesus was around. And so with all of this being said, they begin to deduce that these men have been with Jesus. Amen. 
And maybe perhaps they had seen Peter and John with Jesus before. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is this, is that these two were acting like Jesus, their teacher. And they were spreading the same message that Jesus had spread. If you remember throughout the scripture, and I'm going to just kind of meander around here tonight for this particular verse. But if you'll remember in the scripture that Jesus was considered by several that knew him, he was considered as a rabbi. I'm going to delve in just a little Jewish culture here for a moment. He, 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 he was considered by many a rabbi whenever uh, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb the morning of the resurrection and she got there and she was looking for Jesus. She wanted to know where he was laid because she was going to take his body, if you'll recall the story in the Gospels, that she was there early and there was one talking to her. It was Jesus. She did not really recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. And, but he was talking to her and, and back and forth. And she was asking some questions. Where have you laid my Lord? And seemingly as her back was turned to him, he finally kind of unveiled who he was by speaking her name. He said, Mary. And whenever she heard her name, she responded, Rabbani, or, or Rabboni, which is another word for rabbi or master or Lord. And, and when she did this, when he did this, she recognized that to be Jesus because nobody says your name like Jesus does. Nobody says your name like Jesus does. And she called him rabbi, master, to be interpreted as master or teacher. Uh, and, and just to show it wasn't just people that were friends with Jesus, close friendships like Mary, uh, whom the, the demons was dispelled out of her, but Nicodemus also. We see in John 3 that whenever Nicodemus kind of turned one of the secret disciples, a man that had been a part of the Sanhedrin, Whenever he came to Jesus by night, the Bible says in John 3, 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus, this one that is one of the Sanhedrin come tonight, even calls Jesus Rabbi, or if you will, a teacher. Now, with that being said tonight, during the culture of Jesus' day and still yet Jewish culture today, there are a myriad of rabbis within Jewish culture and within the culture of Jesus' day. And a rabbi, a rabbi had his particular teaching concerning the Torah, which was the first five books of our Old Testament of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so he had his particular teaching about the Torah, his particular set of rules, his particular set of lists that he as an individual believed was the closest to what God had intended through the scriptures. The rabbi was interpreting the scriptures and believed that they were the closest to what God had intended to the scriptures. And so being a rabbi, a master or a teacher, he had also then students. Or in our, our, our language for what we're looking at tonight, he had disciples. And when someone chose a rabbi as their teacher to become his understudy, so to speak, they did so, they chose that rabbi because they believed that the rabbi's teachings were as true as it could be to the Torah as well. 
And so whenever a rabbi had his set of teaching concerning Genesis, Exodus, those first five books, when he had his teaching, that teaching that he had was called his yoke. Yeah, that was called his yoke. And so whenever you followed a rabbi, you were taking his yoke, his teaching of the scriptures upon you. Amen. But what was what was important concerning the yoke was that more than just lessons that you were receiving from the rabbi was the fact that you believed as a student not only am i hearing what is closest to the meaning that god intended for the torah for my life and i'm going to adapt i'm going to adapt to those and hear those but they believed then that they could live their lives like the rabbi lived that in essence, they could begin to be a cookie-cut copycat of the man that they were following. We see this in Scripture. Remember Matthew 11, verse 29. Remember when Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Jesus wasn't saying, I got a wooden yoke here that I want you to take. What he was saying was as a rabbi, he was wanting them to take his teaching and his instruction and learn of him. And know what he says in verse 30. He says, for my yoke, my teaching, my instruction is easy and my burden is light. And so here's what happened. Are you, this is just a little Jewish stuff. Are you ready? I got a point maybe in all of this. But if a rabbi, he has his student now, he's been teaching him the Torah, what he thought was closest to what God intended in the scripture. And as he's doing that, if one of his students suggested what they thought, maybe a particular scripture or a particular portion of the Torah, what it meant concerning a certain passage, if they suggested that in the setting of the teaching of the rabbi, uh, and it, it wasn't even close to what the rabbi had been teaching, the rabbi would say to them, you have abolished the Torah. All right? You have abolished the Torah. In this case, the rabbi knew they're not getting what I've been teaching. They're not getting what I've been saying. My yoke's been out there, but they've not really got it upon them. And they're not even anywhere near where they need to be to the teaching. And since I'm teaching that which is closest of God, they're not anywhere where they need to be concerning God. And so the, 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 you have abolished the Torah. But if they understood what the rabbi was saying and they gave a suggestion that harmonized what the rabbi had been teaching them, amen, and his life had been teaching them, then that student would be spoken to by the rabbi these words, you have fulfilled the Torah. You remember on the Sermon on the Mount, Whenever Jesus and it starts in Matthew 5, goes for several chapters. It's a long sermon. I like that about the Lord. Amen. It's a long sermon. It goes on for several chapters. Matthew 5, 17, you'll remember Jesus saying concerning himself. He said, think not that I come to destroy. Or another word could be proper, abolish the law and the prophets. He says, but I am come, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Amen. In other words, Jesus says, I have come to put some flesh and blood on the word of God. Amen. I have come to fulfill them. Now, 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 just stay with me here just a little bit. Now, most students, that was a student of a rabbi, 
most students would teach and propagate then the message or the yoke of their respected rabbi. They would teach in the name of that rabbi. And so if you were familiar with a, a particular rabbi, the cer- a certain name of a rabbi, if you was familiar with his name, amen, then you would automatically know what his teaching was because the teaching and the name go together. Amen. Even still today, you'll see Jews, they'll reference rabbi so-and-so. And whenever they reference that person, if anybody has any idea who that is, they already know the teaching. Because once they said on something, it was very consistent, amen, And what they said. And so the, the, the teaching, amen, is very, very tied to the name. And so whenever these Sanhedrin people come in Acts 4 and they are asking Peter and John by what authority or by what name has this miracle been done, what they're really getting at is this, who is your rabbi? Who is your rabbi? And whenever they said Jesus, when they heard the name, they knew the teaching. Amen. When they heard the name, they knew the teaching that these two must have had. And evidently that these are ones that have been with Jesus. Someone understand what I'm saying tonight? What I'm saying also for us in our day is that if the teaching goes with the name. Huh? If the teaching is tied to the name, then we should be able to herald the name. Although it's getting muddier in our day, we should be able to herald the name and there is an understanding then about what is taught. Now, why is it? Why is it that the Sanhedrin would call Peter and John and perceive that they were unlearned and ignorant men, yet they were under a teacher, a rabbi? Amen. What in the world's going on? No doubt they may have seen Peter and John. They were fishermen, right? Hmm? They were fishermen. They may have seen them down on the boat or on the Sea of Galilee. Perhaps they were familiar with that. They were fishermen. And perhaps knowing that they were fishermen, they would have to know this in their culture. I'm not trying to overload you. But in their culture, normally, only Jewish kids who did not succeed in rabbi school went to learn the family trade. If you became a carpenter, if you became a fisherman, if you just adopted where the family trade was, that meant, in modern-day language, you flunked out of rabbi school, okay? (laughs) You were a flunky, so you had to go and get just the normal trade of your family, all right? Now, we know something that even in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 that there is the admonition of parents to instill the godly principles of, of, of God's word in their children from the very beginning. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. Amen. But even today, at least one rabbi said that under the age of six that they did not receive a child as a pupil. They didn't start teaching a child under the age of six, maybe on a, a public forum level, but in the home they were still being taught. But with that being said, I do have a point. With that being said... This student then, at the age of six, they would start to be taught by some local rabbi. Level one was known as the house of the book. That student at age six, from six to ten years old, would start memorizing the Torah. It would start memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, word for word. Start memorizing that. And hopefully by ten years old, they would have all the scripture memorized from there. I read of one individual who was in a, uh, a Jewish seminary, and uh, he was an American, and he said uh, that he believed 
because it even gets, I don't know, it's better, but some might think it's worse. He said he believed he was the only one that did not know the full Old Testament front and back because he was an American. The others were Jews, word for word. And so they would start memorizing this Torah and hopefully have it accomplished by age 10. And to shine a little light, that's the reason why Jesus in New Testament scripture could make reference to something in the old and he didn't have to tell the whole story to get people up to speed. Because if they were Jewish kids, somewhere along the way, they started memorizing all that. He didn't have to go back to Abraham, bring everybody to date because they knew it. He could start where he wanted. And they're like, I know what he's talking about. And so anyway, uh, and, and for that matter, they don't have their own copy of the Torah, right? They don't have the Bible like we have. They don't have their own copy. So if they was going to have it, you know, they went to the synagogue or they're going to have to memorize it. Go, no, no, go have their own copy. That's the reason why in New Testament scripture, when it even talks about us not, us not throwing away the traditions, it's not talking about traditions like you and I think about. Because the only way that they had to relay the word was by oral tradition. Uh-huh. And so they, they, they got the word many times by oral tradition. So it's not like tradition you and I think of. The apostle was saying traditions, that which has been handed down orally. We didn't have books, but we had the oral tradition of the word that one spoke to the other. And we're not to rid ourselves of those things. Amen. And so if, if, this, if this individual from 6 to 10 started memorizing and started getting it good, you know, seeing that they had an aptitude, if you will, toward that natural abilities toward it, they went on in their learning. They went to level two. And when they went to level two, it was called the house of learning. That was from 10 years old to 14 years old. And they would continue to start memorizing now the rest of the Old Testament books. From Genesis to Malachi, 39 books in the Old Testament. And we're doing all right. It's at this stage of level two that if a student looked like they weren't quite getting it, that they would be sent back home. It's time for you to become a fisherman. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. We love you. You're a good kid, but you need to go be a carpenter. They would send them back home to take up the family trade or the family business. But hopefully by the time they'd reached 14 years old, they knew the Bible from Genesis all the way to Malachi by memory. And if they did that, they went to level three. And level three was called the house of study when they're around 14 or 15 years old. And it's at this stage that a student would apply to a well-known rabbi, not just their local yokel now, a well-known rabbi to become his disciple or to become his student. And the goal of the disciple wasn't just, again, to know what the rabbi knew, but it was to be just like the rabbi. That disciple wanted to take the yoke, the teaching, and the lifestyle of his or his rabbi upon him. Remember, Paul said this in Philippians 3.10. He said that I may know him. That's great, but he goes on and says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. I'm not talking about just his teaching. I'm talking about I want to be like him. He'd accepted Christ as his teacher, his rabbi. And whenever he said, I want to be your disciple, in saying that, he says, I want to accept your teaching and become who you are. Someone say amen. And so what would happen is this rabbi 
When it wasn't just the disciple says, I want to be your disciple. And the rabbi says, okay, let's go. It wasn't that, it wasn't cut and dry like that. A disciple came up and said, I want to be your rabbi. And the rabbi then starts drilling, starts drilling the student. All right. He starts drilling the applicant about the Torah. About those first five books of the Bible. He starts drilling him about Genesis all the way to Malachi. Amen. Because he wanted to look at somebody. This is what he was trying to get by with, 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 with not happening. He, he didn't want to invest in him if he wasn't going to be able to do what the rabbi done. He didn't want to invest in him if he wasn't in a place where he was willing to become what the rabbi was. And so if the interview went south, if the interview ended up bad, at that stage in the journey, he would send that young man home to learn the family trade. But if he was good, these are the words from the, 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 the Jewish culture, he would say, he would say, come, follow me. And whenever the rabbi would say, come, follow me, that student would leave his friends, leave his family to go follow the rabbi, to learn what he taught, to learn what he said, to learn how he lived, and at best try to become like he was. And that boy did not want to miss anything that his rabbi had to teach, say, sleep. That's the reason why you see disciples. They're sleeping with Jesus. They're eating with Jesus. They're walking along the sea with Jesus. They're doing all these different things with Jesus. Matter of fact, I read of one occurrence. There was a guy that went to visit. Maybe you've experienced this, Brother Mason. He was over in Israel, and he said a rabbi went to the restroom, and all of his disciples followed him. And it's not because they all had to use the restroom. They didn't just want to miss a moment that he was going to say something, do something that they were going to miss. Now, the interesting thing about all of this is this. When Jesus cried out finally to the disciples, Peter and John were casting a net. They were doing fisherman duty. When Andrew... Whenever, whenever, when Peter and John, Andrew and, and, and James, they were all either casting nets or mending nets. They were all doing fisherman duty. As a matter of fact, several of the disciples that Jesus called were doing some type of trade the moment that he called them. Which means this, folks. Originally, they didn't make the cut. Originally, somewhere along the way, they were in rabbi school and someone said, son... <laughs> I think you just need to go find the family, the family trade, and you need to go to work. However, whenever we read some of them in Scripture, if John 1.38, some of them cried out to Jesus as rabbi. Note John 1.38. The Bible says, then Jesus turned and saw them following John had just spoken about, here's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And when these particular two disciples heard that, they started to follow him. One of them, we learned from verse 40, was Andrew. And, they, they, and they're following him and saith unto them, Jesus turns and says to them, what are you seeking? What are you doing? And notice what they said. They said unto him, Rabbi. They're starting to follow. He says, what are you doing? We're, we, we, Rabbi, in other words, can we be your students? Will you be our teacher? Will you be our master? Rabbi, where dwellest thou? They were following him, and Jesus wanted to know why, and the answer is because they wanted him to be their rabbi or teacher, even though they had missed it somewhere else. 
Is someone with me? So whenever, whenever they cry out like that, Andrew cries out like that, can I be your student? We read then later in Matthew 4, whenever they're doing their fisherman duty, doing their trade, the trade of the family, that we see Jesus start calling them and he says what? Come and follow me. That's not just him beckoning them, but that's him. You know what he believed in that moment? And I think this is crucial. Amen. Here this evening for these two Peter and John unlearned men. If he said, come follow me, this is what that is explaining. I believe you have what it takes to receive my teaching. And I believe you have what it takes to be just like I am. They said they took knowledge of them because they had been with Jesus. These two have his teaching and they are doing what he had done and they are becoming who he is. I feel the Holy Ghost right now because I think we need to get something out of our minds tonight. God has called you. Maybe not only did you ask God, amen, to come into your life, but he had turned around and he's told you, us that are sitting here tonight, come and follow me. And if that's what he said, he believes you can be like he is. And you might feel like you're far from being there, but if he's brought you in, it's because he has a mindset that you can be like he is. Even if you flunked up before, he's reaching forth his head and saying, listen, I believe you can. Because you can choose a rabbi, but ultimately it's the rabbi's choice. And if he thought you could receive his teaching and become like him, then he would choose you. He said in John 15, 16, he said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And so that's what Jesus was conveying to them. And that is what the rulers picked up on in this setting. We've seen them doing their father's trade. Yet they've been with Jesus. And if that's the case, they must have his teaching and they're going to be able to be like he Folks, I don't think even on the Jewish level that's acceptable, but I believe on a spiritual level that is acceptable because just as those arch enemies in the flesh recognize that, I believe there is something in the spirit that recognizes that because if they've been with Jesus and he's been their teacher, then these people are going to be able to teach what he taught and they're going to be able to do what he did. That, ladies and gentlemen, troubles the adversary. That troubles the enemy when he realizes the people of the name are not only they're getting good little lessons but they are going to become like the one they have been following yeah so this gives a whole different landscape then when all these disciples are out on the boat and Jesus comes walking out here on the water and Peter says is that you Lord that's my teacher. That's my rabbi. And what's his next words? He said, bid me come. What are you doing, Peter? That's my teacher. I'm not in this just for a lesson. I'm in this for a lifestyle. If he's doing it, I should be able to do it too. Woo! Folks, we live in at a certain degree below the privilege here today. Because if he's the teacher... 
If he's the master, if he's the Lord, if he did it, the church of the living God should be able to step outside the edge of the boat. Oh, Brother McGee, but we might sink. You know what? Maybe we will. But God, thank us for trying. Thank us for trying to be like that's what he's seen in us in the beginning. At least they'll try. At least they'll attempt. At least they'll put a good foot forward. You know, as I consider this and I look through the scripture, many times it wasn't so much so that Jesus was upset over the disciples and the mistakes that they made, but he was, he was upset over their own blindness of not believing they could be like he was. Someone say, I can be like him. In so much that lesson day is going to come to a closure of 1 John 3, 2. And it tells us, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we, graduation day, folks, we shall be like him. Because that's what we followed all along the way. He's the one that we've adopted as our teacher. More importantly, he's the one that's verified and accepted us and said, come. And thought we could get to the 1 John 3, 2 stage of being like him. Someone say amen. Now, that's verse 13, okay? The majority of our lesson was there. Okay. All right. No one get nervous. So as they have all this knowledge, and I, I, and folks, just to back up, the reason why I said all that is because, you know, we're from this side of the world, and we just kind of untouch with culture over there. And so this, though, is set in that type of culture. And so when you understand what could be rattling through all these guys' mind when all of this unfolds, it kind of brings just a new light on the picture that wasn't there before. I think you would agree. But whenever all this then was conveyed and took place, <clears throat> the rulers knew. They set Peter and John outside. They're going to have a private meeting because of what took place and what was done. The rulers knew that nothing could be said against what was done. There was undoubtedly a miracle that had taken place. As a matter of fact, even in this conference, they, they took Peter and John, but evidently, which is just awesome, you know, the man who had been lame came on his own, which is something he's never been able to do, came on his own. And the Bible says he was there, he was there standing, so it's evident that this man has been healed. And a matter of fact, to the amazement of all the crowd that had been around him, that this man had been healed, that knew him formally. And so it was quite evident this good deed has been done to him. And he's even standing there with Peter and John. Amen. And so he's gotten there by his own, could have never been done. And he's standing. And so here's what happens, though, with this man being there and this miracle that's happening. It's kind of like the old saying. There used to be an old saying years ago that the best defense of truth of a Christian faith is a changed life. <laughs> you got the lame man. Can't call him that anymore. You got the lame man standing here. And you want to say something about what took place. 
The Bible tells us that they could not deny the miracle. They could not deny the miracle. The man is standing there. And so when they talked among themselves and said, what are we going to do? What's going to be our course of action? One's looking at the other and said, we can't deny this man has had a miracle. And everybody that's seen it or know him knows he's had a miracle. And so the only thing that we can do is this. We got to try to hinder the actions and the message of these disciples and what happened here from going any further. In order for us to do that, we're going to have to tell these boys, you cannot teach and you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. But that was their rabbi. Becoming a disciple of his meant that they would propagate his message. And they would speak it in his name. Because the name gave the authority to the message that they were talking about. There's all kinds of rabbis. They could just teach whatever they wanted. But if there's not a name to tie the message to, it lacked authority. But they're saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell these guys no more actions, no more speaking, no more teaching in the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We're going to hinder this from going any further. You can't do that to these boys. They're disciples of their rabbi. Here is the crux of the issue then and the crux of the issue now. It's spoken of in John 3, John 3, 19. The Bible tells us simply what the problem is. It's that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Now, the reason why men love darkness rather than light is the Bible says because their deeds are evil. And if you bring light on evil deeds, the evil deeds come to light. Uh Uh-huh. And they're going to have to be reproved over the deeds. So they're going to hate light because light exposes their falseness. Light exposes the false deed. And so we know, folks, if that's the case, they were trying to get by with having not been reproved. They didn't want to be reproved because of the evil deeds. So we're going to hate light because if we'll leave no exposure to any of this, we won't have to worry about contending with what we've done wrong. Mm-hmm. So we say amen. So they know what the truth is, but they're trying to avoid the truth from shining any light upon what's going on. The Bible goes on to say, and if, and if you note, whenever they told them not to do, in verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Look at verse number 19. I try to be mindful of your time here. I know I started early. Don't want to weary you. And I'll probably pick back up here next week and talk in a different direction on this. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing. How they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shewed. Jewish law had laid down a certain practice that if a person was taken in on their first offense of doing something that they had to be warned 
of the wrong that they had done at that first offense rather than punishing them because there's a chance that the person could have done the wrong not knowing it was wrong. And so it was a law of theirs that if they brought someone in on a first offense, they didn't just go for the juggler right there because the benefit of the doubt, this person may not knew what they were doing was wrong. So first of all, we're going to punish them. That's what's taking place here, in essence, in Acts 4. But when we get in Acts number 5, we're going to see that they've done some more preaching and more teaching. They've been thrown in jail again. An angel even comes by and lets them out of jail. I know some people in jail right now probably wish they had an angel like that. But an angel came by right now and got them out of jail. They go back out preaching. They go back out teaching. And whenever they come back, whenever they come back and they're found with the same fault of teaching and preaching in that name, they're wanting to slay these very same disciples that they just kind of punished verbally before. Because whenever they come in Acts 5, they are doing signs, miracles, and wonders. And look where they're doing it. Solomon's porch. That's around the temple right where the lame man had been just healed. They go right back to the same stomping grounds and they preach and teach and do miracle signs and wonders in the exact same place all over again, hauled to prison. But now they are threatened with their life because they've already been told once, you shouldn't do that. Number two is we're going to kill you. <laughs> we're going to kill you. And they were so careful about this because the eyes of the people thought what was going on concerning this miracle business and the message that was taking place was great. Man, they were rallying around what was taking place in so much that whenever they took the people the second time, we'll look at in Acts 5, that they were a little fearful. They weren't going to do it with violence because they feared that the people, they might have a riot on their hands. They might have a rage upon their hands. If the people really knew that they had intentions to slay them, they probably would have had a riot upon them, their hands. If they were going to slay them, they're probably going to slay them in private rather than public because of the riot that the people could cause. It's the very same thing that happened with Jesus. He was taken, but the people wanted him to be crucified. Pilate's mind was changed because of the voices of the people, and he just surrendered him over to the people. He wasn't willing to deal with what the popularity was saying. Well, just kind of on another side of the fence for Peter and John at this time, the rulers weren't wanting to deal with the popularity that they had going either. Amen. And as a result of it, they took them away quietly. But things are going to go south. And probably, now I'll come to a close here real quick. Probably what I'll speak on next week, next week will be this matter. And that is, when is it right? When is it right to have civil disobedience? When is it right that you obey God rather than man, or should I say your government? Because we have biblical premise and some instruction. Concerned. So, and so I'm not here, you know, I don't have my, 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 my gun and my bandana and we're about ready to become anarchists and we're going to, no. But there is a proper time whenever you must listen to the rules and regulations and teachings of God more so than men, even if that men is an entity called the government. Amen. Stand with me here tonight. And with that goes to say, it's not just because you don't like something. There will be great clarification next week. Great clarification. Someone wind up in prison. And my pastor said on a Wednesday night that I could. I'm telling you right now. Call him in. I'll be getting subpoenaed to court or something. 
Yet in the same measure, let me tell you this with all sincerity, and it's already happened within our generation, it's going to get more close to the day when it will happen. What happened in Frankfort, Kentucky, just not that long ago, is a good case in point. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If we can just bow our heads in this place. Father. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.